and 23. Amen. And as we turn there, I do want to encourage you, amen, that it has just been so refreshing to be able to hear so many positive reports of what God is doing in the church family, even through this uh, situation that God is working and providing and blessing and healing. And so I'm so encouraged by those positive things that God is doing among us today. Jude 1 verse 22 and verse 23. The Bible says, And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Would you read again with me these two verses? Read it out loud with me. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. I invite you to pray together with me one more time. Let's ask the Lord specifically to speak to us in the next little while from his word. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much, Lord, for your word that is available and accessible for us today. I ask that you would open our understanding to understand your scriptures. I pray that you would use me as a messenger of the Lord to speak your word and not my own. And I pray that our hearts would be receptive and ready to receive the word of God that is able to save our souls. Help me to speak as your spirit leads today to minister to the people of God and to everyone that is watching this message. We love you and we give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody say amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. How many have heard of the phrase jailhouse religion? Jailhouse religion, or maybe you've heard it this way, jailhouse Jesus. Well, the times that I have heard uh, these terms have often been with a disparaging tone or said in a cynical or a critical way. These phrases essentially refer to when a person that is incarcerated in jail or prison or maybe just a person in general who get or find religion when in a crisis situation, when times become tough and uh, they hit the bottom, uh, they get or find religion in these times, and thus the phrase jailhouse religion. Sure, I know that some of us might be a little slow to believe that there could be any lasting transformation in the heart or in the life of someone who has quote-unquote, found religion during a time of crisis. To be completely honest, over the last 17 years of ministry, I have probably become more guilty than any of us of this crime of cynicism. When someone I know has supposedly straight, straightened up their life while in jail or when someone is going through a difficult time of sickness or someone is experiencing a great financial emergency and all of a sudden, they're going to get right with God. Now, life and experience has had a way of hardening 
our hearts towards reports like these, where we actually have to be careful not to let people notice that we roll our eyes at such news. Yet, the Word of God has deeply convicted me of allowing such an attitude to develop and to be adopted in my spirit. Scriptures will show us example after example of crisis acting as the catalyst of change in people's lives. Take a look at Jacob's life. Jacob, he had deceived his father. He had stole what rightfully belonged to his older twin brother. And terrified of his brother's revenge, this family crisis in Jacob's life caused him to spend an entire night until the breaking of dawn and wrestle with God. And as a result, God would change his name to Israel and draw him into a covenant with he and his descendants. Joseph, that dreamer that we read about in the book of Genesis as well, we would see his brothers bow before him and the God-given dreams come to pass. How did they come to pass after so many years? Because of a drought that threatened his brothers and their families with starvation that forced his brothers to travel to Egypt and ask for a handout. Didn't God say to Moses, that he was going to send him to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. Why? Because, God said, he has heard the cry of his children come up out of their bondage. Israel had become slaves. They were locked up, so to say. And they cried out to God, and God heard their cry and responded by sending Moses to lead them out of Egypt. Another character we find in the Old Testament is that of Rahab, the harlot. In the book of Joshua, we read about this prostitute who lived in a wicked city that was doomed for complete destruction. But in an act of desperation, Rahab wanted to save herself and her family. So she asked help from the people of God. And as a result, we find that her life was spared and she eventually becomes a part of the family tree of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jonah, he had passed the verdict and Nineveh was sentenced to die. But the whole city found religion while on death row. And from the king to the cow in the stall, Everyone humbled themselves and did not eat or drink anything. And wouldn't you know it, as they so quickly turned to the Lord and humbled themselves, that God heard the cry and spared this city from his wrath. The job description of nearly every Old Testament prophet was to warn people that if they did not turn from their wicked ways and turn back to God, that there would be terrible consequences. And still, we find time after time, message after message, that Israel would refuse to listen to the preaching or 
to the preacher or to the prophet. And then what would happen? Pain and problems would come. But we find that God had a purpose in the pain. And the problems and the pain that would come as consequences of their own bad choices would humble them and cause them to turn back to God. And he gave them promises in their self-imposed prisons. I would like to call these prison promises. Prison promises like the one found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. God said, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Again, these all being consequences of the poor behavior and actions and decisions of the people of God. He says, if you experience this pain and these problems come upon you, and in your pain and in your problems, he says in verse 14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. As a side note, I want to mention this, that he mentions three things that would come upon them or four. He says there would be no rain. There would be locusts that would devour the land and I will send pestilence among my people. Did you know what the synonyms of the word for pestilence are? Synonyms for the word pestilence are plague, disease, epidemic, virus, pandemic. I promise you, I, I'm not making this stuff up. God said that if his people, if people are going through a pandemic, and in that crisis, they humble themselves. They call on the name of the Lord. They turn from their wicked ways. God says, I will hear your cry in these bad times. God says that when they begin to feel the pain and experience the problems, and they turn to him in bad times, he is there waiting to hear and waiting to heal. Now, these examples that I've given you, they are all from the Old Testament. But let me quickly reference for you some from the New Testament. For those of you that like to disregard the Old Testament as being out of date or irre irrelevant, let me mention to you about the man we find in the Gospels. Jesus finds a man from Gadara who was possessed with devils and living among the tombs in the cemetery. That when he saw Jesus a long ways off, that this man ran to Jesus and worshipped him, though he was as low as low could get. We find that this man in his lowest point of his life, he ran to Jesus and Jesus did not ignore him. Jesus did not stiff arm him, but Jesus, we find, delivered the man. 
Another story we find is a woman that had a chronic sickness for 12 long years. And she, the Bible says, she, she had tried everything. She, she, she spent everything that she had. She went everywhere that could promise her hope. But all of these ventures left her worse than she was when she went to these that were supposedly able to help her. And after she had tried everyone and tried everything, finally she turned to Jesus. And she went to Jesus in an act of desperation. And again, we find the Savior releasing virtue from himself in healing and making this woman whole. There again is a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. The religious leaders threw her down at the feet of Jesus. She was convicted. She was sentenced to die. But she found a Savior in this moment of humiliation. Jesus showed her mercy and told her to go and sin no more. Jesus even told us of a story about a young man, a, a son of a rich landowner who wanted his inheritance before his father even passed. And he took this inheritance and he squandered it on riotous, the Bible says, wasteful living in a far country. And when finances ran out and his supposed friends were nowhere to be found. Guess what this young man did? He got religion in the pen, in the pig pen. We find the prodigal son then came to himself, humbly walked back to the father's house in hopes to be hired as a servant, only to be welcomed back as a son. Let me share with my refuge family some news that was recently brought to my attention. I have been informed that these videoed services have leaked out to people, family and relatives and friends in our area as well as all throughout the United States. And they have even found their way into prison. That's right. I just got news the other day about an inmate that has started to gather together some people in his cell block to worship and to hear the word together with us. If they happen to be watching this video right now, I want to let them know that they are welcomed today and we are glad that they are with us and glory be unto God. Now, what's my point in all of this? Well, back on March 24th, while people on social media were posting pictures of empty shelves at the grocery stores. Grocery stores, they couldn't keep meat and cereal and milk and yes, even toilet paper. They couldn't keep these products on the shelves. They were going so quickly. There were also images in the midst of all of this, like the one you're seeing now, where shelves at Walmart where Bibles were for sale were almost entirely emptied out. While it might not be the most talked about story, many news agencies and outlets have been reporting that there have been significant increase in Bibles being sold. Why? Because there is something about a crisis that drives people to find religion. Whether it is the physical threat of this pandemic or the looming financial crisis that bears down 
on our economy and the global economy, or it's the emotional strain that causes fear and anxiety and stress to break into our homes and into our hearts. We find people are becoming acutely aware of an inward need that cannot be satisfied by sports, sitcoms, video streaming, social media, and even some good comfort food. Even the rise and the interest in superhero films that we've seen come out of Hollywood over the past several years, it has declined. And people have become uninterested in fictitious heroes, so-called, that offer no real hope or relief in our present realities. People are looking for a savior, a real savior, one who is able to satisfy and one who is able to speak calm to their storm. Refuge family, I'm calling you today to instead of putting life on pause and simply look for ways to pass the time, waiting for all of this to become a memory. And of course, isn't that the temptation of this hour? Isn't that the, the very thing that many of us have been tempted by to simply put life on pause and just look for meaningless ways to pass the time? Instead, I call the Refuge Church to redeem the time and look for opportunities in the crisis. I've heard myself and I've heard others saying things like this, I cannot wait for things to return to normal. I'm sorry to be that guy, but let me say that what we're hoping for might not ever happen again. If I could compare this unprecedented moment to another life-altering event that most of us that are watching this video can vividly remember, things never returned to normal after September 11th, 2001. I explained to my kids that when we travel, especially by plane, what things were like before the terrorist, terrorist attack on 9-11. And of course, they look at me in unbelief. But I have contemplated many a time since COVID-19 has wrecked our calendars and began shaping our daily lives. When the dust settles from this pandemic, what will the new normal look like for our world? This next question might sound harsh, but hear me out. Do we need things to return to normal? Do we need things to return to normal. Or maybe we would be more accurate, accurate in classifying it as a want. Sure, econo economically speaking and the ability to assemble ourselves together and the list could go on. Some of those things, yes, there, there is a need. There, there seems to be a genuine need for those things to return. But as a church, as a body of people, that claim to be citizens of heaven who are looking for the second coming of the Lord. Do we really need things to return to how they were? Some might even ask, is this the end? With COVID-19, the plague 
of locusts sweeping through the Middle East still today, even earthquakes happening here recently, like the 5.7 magnitude earthquake that shook Salt Lake City back on March 18th, which ironically broke off the trumpet that was attached to the golden image at the top of the Mormon temple of the angel Moroni that supposedly I understand is fit to his lips or put to his lips to herald the coming judgment of God. And this trumpet broke off. Some will ask, is this the end. And in my opinion, this appears to be at least the beginning of the end. Consider how fast things have been changing in our country and in what is commonly referred to as the land of the free. Now, do not misunderstand me as, as one that is undermining the precautionary measures implemented by our federal and state governments. I am not doing that. In fact, I believe that these measures were put into place for our population's protection with good intentions. But beside all that, here is my point. Maybe prior to the past 30 days, some of us have had a difficult time imagining how the world could come together under a global rule or government. And some of us had a hard time imagining how the genuine general populace could ever possibly be accepting of the mark of the beast. But I think that what has happened in the past 40 days might dismiss any doubts that we may previously have had. The Brookings Institute, which is an American research group funded in 19, uh, uh, an American research group that was founded in 1916 on Think Tank Row in Washington, D.C., this, this group conducts research and education in the social sciences, primarily in economics and tax policy, metropolitan policy, governance, foreign policy, global economy, and economy development. They published an article back on April 10th, 2017, that was entitled, Sometimes the World Needs a Crisis, Turning Challenges into Opportunities. I am in no way, shape, or form calling the, those that work at the Brookings Institute Satan, but let me tell you, the God of this world is looking to seize the season that we are in to accomplish his agenda. And can the church at least do as much as hell will? End time revival is at the door of the church. We can choose as saints of God to spend our time and energy following ever uh, following every breaking news story, researching conspiracies, fighting the measures that are, are put in place to slow the spread, complaining to anyone who will listen, or binge watching movies and TV shows, or or we can choose to invest our time, our energy, and our resources in finding new ways to reach the lost, connecting with our spouse and our children, creatively connecting with church members, reading, studying, and sharing the word of God. Let's be mindful that if indeed we are the generation upon whom the ends of the world have come, and that perhaps even in our lifetime, we will see the second coming of the Christ. Listen, not being able to sit down at a restaurant, struggling to find toilet paper at the store, 
or being forced to homeschool our children and practice social distancing, this and these things will be the least of any real issues that we may live through. Listen, as I read from Matthew 24, verse 6 through 9, and I'm coming to a close. Matthew 24, verse 6, it says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilences, or plagues, pandemics, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my namesake. You might ask, what are you doing, pastor? Are you, are you trying to scare us? Well, listen, I, I'll do what it takes, but I believe that the church needs to be shaken awake. I believe that we need to recognize this moment and that perhaps the end times really are upon us and maybe with it, there is a revival that is unprecedented to anything that we've ever seen before. Returning to our text today, Jude 22 and 23, it says, And some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. What Jude is saying, that there be some people that if you love them, if you show them compassion, if you show them kindness, they can very easily turn to uh, the Lord and, and become believers and be born again. But others, Jude says, others that have been hardened by their by the times and been hardened, their hearts have been hardened. He says others that it will take something of fear that will pull them out of the fire, snatching them out of hell's flames. Listen, if someone is born again during this time because they are afraid of dying and going to hell or, uh, or, or they're just afraid of not being sure of where they're headed, is their jailhouse religion in vain? Maybe we can gain something from Frank Constantino. He is the president and founder of the Coalition of Prison Evangelists, which includes about 300 prison ministries across the nation. He said this, people say chain gang religion is no good, that jailhouse religion doesn't work. Well, he says, it worked for me, and I'm going to ride that horse all the way to heaven. Listen, there may be someone that has never been open to hearing you share Jesus Christ with them before, but these unique days that we are living in has opened up their heart. I received a call just the other day from someone that I have never met before. Her name is Connie, and her brother uh, used to attend the Silvis Church, now lives in uh, Newton, Iowa, I believe. Her name is Connie Ray, and she called up wanting to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And I suspect that we are going to be getting more calls just like that of people wanting to be baptized, people seeking to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And listen, these times, don't dismiss it. Don't dismiss it. Don't be cynical of it. There might be someone listening to this message right now, and you know that you're not right with God, or you are unsure of where you might spend eternity if you were to pass from this life today, or you're just looking for an 
anchor that is secure in these uncertain times. Well, let me tell you about a Savior. His name is Jesus, and he really can make the difference in your life. He can satisfy what the world has been unsuccessful in satisfying in your life. I would to God that you, right where you're standing or sitting, would lift up your hands right now and just begin to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, we love you, Lord. We need you. We call on your name. We recognize that you are a God that does not dismiss the cry of those who in crisis, in desperation, will reach out and call on the name of the Lord. You don't dismiss those cries, but in fact, we find that it seems that your ear is even more attuned to those types of cries. And I pray that we as a church, that we will do the same, that our ear will be in tune with the cries of people that are looking for religion, that are looking for relationship with the Savior. And Lord, if there's anybody that is watching this video that has not yet been born again, that needs to repent of their sins, I pray that you would humble yourself even now, that you would begin to call upon the name of Jesus and confess every sin and forsake it and choose to follow Jesus and put your faith in a Savior that is able, that is able to redeem, that is able to restore, that is able to deliver. Oh, hallelujah, I'm going to let you go. But I would that you would turn on your favorite worship song and just begin to spend some time with the Lord. If you are someone that is a saint of God, let the Lord, let the Lord touch your heart and draw you into the harvest to be sensitive to the lost souls that are all around us. If you are someone that is not right with God today, I would encourage you to please find a place of prayer. Call on the name of the Lord. I promise he will listen to your sincere cry. He will find you. Oh, hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Have your way, Lord. Even